give us minds to understand that Jesus is the world's Messiah and we would understand and appreciate and believe on all the implications that has for us as your people now. We ask this for his name's sake. Amen. Now, when I was a young boy, I ate a lot of cereal every morning for breakfast. That might not come as a shock to you, given how I appear now, but there was an alternative uh, motive uh, to eating a lot of cereal other than the fact that I had a massive appetite and I was quite greedy. There was an added incentive. Uh, Back in the UK, when my mum would buy these boxes of cereal, they would come with tokens attached to them and really clever advertising for children. If you collected enough tokens, then your parents could mail them off and eventually in the mail you would receive a mystery gift. And of course, the cereal boxes really hyped up this mystery gift. This is the gift that you need as a child. You can't live without it. You've got to get it. So eat, eat more and get your tokens. And so, of course, that's what I did. And I finally saved up enough tokens. And I gave them to my mum, who could already see tears coming later, and uh, uh, put, put, put them in the envelope and, and mail them off. And weeks later, it took so long, or oh, the anticipation was building. And finally, finally, it came postman came with this package oh is it a bike is it a playstation what could it be and I open up the little packet and I look inside and I take it out and it's this little plastic toy aeroplane that doesn't even fly (laughs) and I am totally gutted couldn't believe it I was so excited the advertising had really grabbed me but in the end those great claims came to nothing and there were many many tears to follow Many of us have learned from pretty early on in life to be rather cautious with those who promise much. You know, salesmen telling us this product will change your life, just pay up front for it now. Dietitians saying that they found the secret to weight loss, just follow our free easy steps that involve no exercise. Politicians promising reforms and benefits to their constituents just give me the vote. And so often these grand claims, they come to nothing. These guys, they talk the talk, but they won't walk the walk. There's no substance, there's no credibility to them. Well, well Luke has written this gospel that we're holding in our hands this morning Uh, And he's written it actually, firstly, primarily to his friend Theophilus that we read about at the beginning of of Luke, uh, that he might know for certain that Jesus is credible. He is not just all talk. He walks the walk. You might remember, if you just flick back to uh, the beginning of Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, you'll see in verse 4, uh, Luke's purpose in writing, he, he writes a few offices and he says, I'm writing this that you might know and have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Uh, and so far, Luke has read a little bit like a resume. We've had other characters in the story doing most of the talking, describing for us who Jesus is and what he's come to do. And last week, we had Jesus' personal resume on on his own lips, as it were, as he picked up that that scroll of Isaiah in the synagogue in Nazareth, and he read it, read of the promised Messiah to come who would bring liberty to the captives 
and then sat down and said, today, to the crowds, today, this scroll, these words are fulfilled in your presence. Claim to be the Savior who would come to deliver his people out of darkness, that they might know and enjoy God again under the blessing of his rule forever. So Theophilus, at this point in, in Luke's gospel, where we are at this morning, he's on the edge of his seat right now, having read up to this point. He's just waiting to see, what will Jesus do? Will he deliver? You know, is, is he really this great saviour God promised through prophets like Isaiah? He, he's talked the talk, and so many others have talked as well, but will he walk the walk? And Luke gives us five scenes in our verses this morning to help us answer that question. It's a bit like a double-decker sandwich. Forgive me, I'm always thinking about food. But that's the way these verses appear to me. Let me just take you through it. You'll notice that really uh, poorly drawn diagram on your outline. That is supposed to be a double-decker sandwich. Um, And a little breakdown for our verses to help us see how Luke has framed things for us. So uh, the first and the last scene, what we have in verses 31 and 32, and then at the end, 42 to 44, it's like the bread of our, our sandwich in these verses. And it's very much concerned with Jesus' teaching with authority. We'll start seeing him teaching in authority, but later he'll come back to it and we'll see the strange but important priority of that teaching above everything else. But then the filling in between, we have two uh, same bits of filling with something in between in the middle of the sandwich. Uh, and that is where Jesus is encountering and delivering us, people, real people, from their most serious problems in, in this life. We have a, a power encounter with an evil spirit. Uh, And then again, later, as it were, the the, the bottom filling, uh, Jesus driving out more spirits. And then in between, we see Jesus' great authority over sickness that no one else could work. Luke's going to show us through this double-decker sandwich, as it were, firstly, that Jesus can deliver. He can deliver. But secondly, he's going to show us what is Jesus' priority in our deliverance, because it may well be not what we think. Let's see how Jesus delivers as we work through this sandwich together. Firstly, Jesus is teaching authority. Come with me to verse 31, our first layer of bread, as it were. We read, Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. Just as Jesus had done, as we saw last week back in Nazareth, so in Capernaum, he, he goes to the synagogue in that town, the, the Jewish meeting place on, on a Saturday, and, and he teaches. And just like back in Nazareth, in verse 32, we see their reaction. They were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Uh, Luke doesn't tell us actually what Jesus said here, but he's more concerned to show us the reaction of the people having heard Jesus' words. Immediately they, they realize this is no ordinary teaching. You know, they would have been used having gone to that synagogue week in and week out, hearing their scribes who would often rely on the traditions of their elders and so hearing a similar message again and again and again. But now they hear this Jesus and he's different. He doesn't rely on the wisdom of others. He doesn't come in somebody else's name. 
Now he speaks with his own unique authority, and that is powerful. They can tell. You know, they're just astonished at what he says. But if there's any doubt that Jesus' words, they carry great authority like nothing these people have heard or witnessed before, well, now Luke shows us Jesus' words in action, their authority to bring about renewal and change. We're going to just start in on the, the filling of Luke's sandwich as we see this first deliverance of Jesus as he's confronted by evil itself. Jesus is confronted here by a man in the grip of evil. Verse 33. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. This man is captive to Satan in the most extreme way. He's lost control over his own body and he is now animated by an evil spirit. You know, many, many today refuse to believe that there is any kind of personal force behind the evil of our world. You know, that all of the demonic uh, oppressions that we have in Scripture, all those examples, that they're really just, you know, the people back then, it's their way of trying to explain mental illness. There's no real personal evil at work. It's just something gone wrong in their minds and their psychology or their physiology. But we've got to remember, Luke, who is writing this account for us, he is a physician. He is familiar with disease and illness. It's what he worked with every day. As we've seen, his concern is to give us an orderly account of the things that took place in Jesus' ministry. So we can't say Jesus isn't, uh, that Luke isn't writing, as it were, portraying history for us here. That is his intention. Here, Jesus engages with an evil spirit, and we can clearly see he has a personality. We see that in his control over the man's words. He speaks through this man in great fear. See what he says in verse 44. He confronts Jesus. Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You notice the, the evil spirit, he knows who Jesus is, what Jesus has come to do, his identity, Jesus of Nazareth, but oh, that much more as well. He is the Holy One of God, and, and his mission Come to destroy all that is evil and corrupt, and so bring renewal to God's world. And yet Jesus, he won't let him say any more. This evil spirit is silenced. In verse 35, Jesus rebukes him, be silent. Oh, the evil spirit, he's right in, in, in what he says, that Jesus is the Holy One of God. But Jesus doesn't want those things revealed by the babbling of an evil spirit. He's going to do that in his own way through this gospel, in his words and in his, in his deeds, not through the babbling of an evil spirit. And there is no real contest here. This, this isn't a battle of equals any more than it's an equal fight between me and that pesky mosquito in my bedroom sometimes at night. This demon knows that his days are numbered if Jesus wills it. And yet even so, he tries to claw back a little bit of illegitimate authority in his words here to Jesus. Just you remember how he addresses himself to Jesus when he first starts to speak? I'll, say, I'll read verse 34 again. Ha, 
What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? The demon, he's not just speaking for himself here, but he's also speaking on behalf of the man under his power. Uh, So in a way, this demon is, is subtly threatening Jesus. If you finish me off, then I'm taking this guy with me. You do justice on me, and this man that I have, he's going to go as well. I'm going to destroy him. And yet, thankfully, as we see here, Jesus came to be our Savior, as well as God's judge. He simply speaks a word, be silent, and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. Stunning. This evil spirit is just gone. Uh, The man is left unscathed. He is healthy and whole again. No harm has come to him. No one has seen this kind of authority over evil before by simply the power of a word. And the people show that in their response in verse 36. They were all amazed. They said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And it's no wonder that the news about Jesus travels fast. Verse 37, reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Here we're given an acute view of Jesus' unquestionable authority to deal with evil without a doubt. And then we have Jesus' authority over sickness as we continue in this this sandwich filling. Jesus' deliverance. Concerning sickness and suffering. After the the service at the synagogue, they go back to Simon's house for lunch. And verse 38, we're told Simon's mother-in-law is there and she she has a high fever, we're told. Now, I know a a brother who I trust and he's done a, a doctorate in theology on the topic of sicknesses in the Bible. And for all of his work, he determined basically on the basis of scripture that when we read of high fever... And these kind of illnesses in the scriptures, nearly always that meant you were on your deathbed. They would lead at that time to certain death. It's more than a cold. This is not just man flu. She is lying on her deathbed at this point, Simon's mother-in-law. So what does Jesus do? Verse 39. He stands over her and rebuked the fever. It's the only place in the Gospels where we see Jesus directly speak to an illness, rebukes the fever. And we see again that a miracle has happened in verse 39. Simon's mother-in-law, having been healed by Jesus with just a word, just gets up, starts to serve them lunch. Yeah, if you've been ill, and I'm sure most of us have here at some point, you'll know it, you know, it takes time to recuperate, doesn't it? I had a cold a few months ago, and it just lingered on week in and week out. It's really annoying. And here, Simon's mother-in-law, who was at death's door, as it were, has been brought back in an instant. And she's up, and she's serving a full meal to Jesus and his disciples. Does it grab you, what Jesus is doing here in these verses, what Luke is reporting to us? He's delivered a man from an evil influence that no one otherwise could control that would have sought nothing but his destruction. He's restored a woman from what would have been certain death 
in a moment, and now she's able to get up and serve a meal. You know, I think there's a danger for those of us who have heard these accounts of, of Jesus. It's great works many times. We are so familiar with them that we've just lost the sense of sheer amazement of what Luke's describing here. It's a bit like my attitude to uh, a new car, a new car that we got last week. Melissa, my wife, will tell you how ridiculously excited I've been about it. It's driven her nuts. It's got all of these gadgets that we've never had in any of our previous cars before. And one of the gadgets that I'm particularly fond of is the auto rain sensor. So cool. I don't know if you guys have this. Uh, basically, when it starts raining, the windscreen wipers, they come on automatically. I'm very sad. That kind of thing excites me. So, you know, I have to confess, you know, I've been sitting down in the living room and looking out and saying, oh, is it going to rain? going to rain? Oh, I might, I might just go for a drive. So I just watch the windscreen wipers go, swish, swish, swish. But I know that in a few months' time, the excitement of our new car and all of the fun gadgets that it has, it's just going to die down. I'm, I'm not going you know, to be that bothered about the windscreen wipers coming on when it rains. Oh, okay, yeah, it's just come on again. Good, fine. That's fine when it comes to things like our cars. But it's a very foolish attitude to take in relating to Jesus that way. We just let these words about him and what he does wash over us. Luke shows us that Jesus is the one who can really bring life and the hope of restoration and renewal to our fallen world that battles with sickness and suffering and evil every day that we only know too well. He can vanquish it. Why would we not be excited about Jesus, given what we witness in our world today and see what he does here? You know, of course, for the people who are witnessing these things for the first time, despondency, that wasn't their issue. Uh, Their reaction to Jesus' works is quite overwhelming. Have a look in verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. People from all over the region, they they bring their sick relatives and friends. And these people, they've got to be really sick because they need the assistance of others just to get to Jesus. Again, it's not just a mild cold or a cough. The paralyzed, the lame. And Jesus heals all of them with their various diseases simply by laying his hands on them. Then we have the second layer of our sandwich filling, we are coming back again to Jesus dealing with evil. Verse 41, demons also came out of many, crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. You know, notice the the similar features we saw earlier with the the demon-possessed man. Again, the demons, they know who Jesus is. But Jesus, he immediately silences them as he drives them out. And Luke gives us a further hint as to why Jesus is so concerned to do that, to to silence them as he drives them out. He, He wants to conceal, at this time, his identity as the Christ. He is the Christ. He is God's promised Savior and King for our world. But the people that he's ministering to, they can't appreciate what that means at this point. You see, they're convinced that the Christ who was promised in the Old Testament scriptures who would come, uh, he would come to liberate them from their human oppressors, the Romans. And Jesus knew that 
he would not become God's king for his people through conquest and political exaltation. No, his path as, as God's son, our savior and Lord, was one of service, one of suffering, ultimately leading to the cross to a crown of thorns. That is how he would establish his kingdom. And yet the crowds, they can't understand that yet. To, him, to them, he's just this amazing miracle worker, one through whom they can receive immediate healing and deliverance. So we come to the, the, the final layer, the bottom bread, as it were, of our sandwich here in Luke. We see that Jesus has other plans. There is something more important to him than healing and deliverance. And Jesus teaching in his priority. Have a look in verse 42. And when it was day, Jesus departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. It's, okay, so it's now the following day, and Jesus now seeks a place of solitude. We know from Mark's gospel that he went there to pray. But given what he's been doing and the way his fame has spread around the surrounding regions as this great miracle worker, people just chase after him. They're desperate for him to stay. Can you blame them? If you had a sick relative who was on death's door, wouldn't you be begging Jesus just to stay? But as they beg Jesus, incredibly, he responds to them in verse 43. In their situation... He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. You see what Jesus is is saying here. He's saying that sermons are more important than healing. That his teaching should take first priority, and so he must go to others so that they can hear as well. Now, maybe for us today, that might seem a bit strange, or maybe even callous and cold-hearted of Jesus. How could anyone who, who has the power to bring healing to those who are suffering prioritize his preaching over their immediate relief? What could be more important than relieving people of their pain? Friends, Jesus says here his teaching is. That's his view. Indeed, notice he says, this is the purpose for why I have come. End of verse 43, again, I was sent for this purpose. Here we've got one of Jesus' mission statements. There are three altogether in Luke's gospel. Uh, Mission statements, they're very popular these days, aren't they? All the big companies out there, they they have them. One of my favorites from a few years ago was Pepsi's official mission statement. It's just two words, two words, Pepsi's official mission statement. Kill Coke. That was it. I'm being serious. That was their mission statement a few years ago. Kill Coke. Well, Jesus says, I've come to preach. That's my mission. And that's more important than healing those who are sick and suffering in the moment. What is the reason? How could Jesus' preaching be more important than the great need that he alone can meet for those people in Capernaum? Well, we find the answer in the content of what he's teaching, of course. Again, verse 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. The good news of the kingdom of God. Now, everyone familiar with the Old Testament to whom Luke is writing, including Theophilus, they knew this phrase. It was very special. 
In fact, we can't really understand Jesus properly without knowing something of God's promises bound up with this phrase, the kingdom of God. That one day God had promised in his word before Jesus, a kingdom would come. A kingdom over which the son of David, Israel's king, who would also be the son of God, he would rule. And in this kingdom of God that would last forever, there would be no more suffering. There would be no more sickness. There would be no more pain. In other words, what we've just seen Jesus do in Capernaum are little glimpses of that kingdom that he comes in order to make a reality through his mission. You know, they're they're like movie trailers that just give a taster of of the main events that we wait for. And it's by Jesus' teaching that people will know how they can be a part of this kingdom. You see, to heal is short-term. But the kingdom of God is eternal. Jesus' priority is to go and tell others of that kingdom so that they can be ready to inherit not temporary healing or temporary deliverance, but eternal life, eternal healing, eternal deliverance. Because, friends, none of us in and of ourselves are worthy of that. I know that I am not worthy of inheriting eternal life of peace in God's blessing in and of myself by the the basis of the life that I've lived. You see, the people that we need to be identifying within these verses are those who are oppressed, who are sick, who are suffering. Simon's mother-in-law who is sick with a fever and nearly dead. And that man who's possessed by a demon has lost control. You know, we might not be suffering from those afflictions, but they are just severe symptoms of a far deeper problem that all of us as humanity share. Paul describes it for us in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. This is us if we stand apart from Jesus and his word of life to us if we don't take it seriously. We read, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, amongst whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is what we need a rescue from. Not primarily illnesses that are painful but temporary, but eternal condemnation under the wrath of God for our sin, for for our decision, yours and mine, to live life as we see fit, to to refuse to love and honor God as the creator who gave us life, who alone is worthy of love and obedience from us. That's his right, but we've spurned it. Jesus' purpose in coming is to make known to others the rescue that God in his mercy has provided in him a rescue from sin and condemnation. That's why in a few weeks in Luke 5, we're going to see Jesus healing a paralyzed man. But the only reason he does that there, the primary reason, is to show those who are watching that he has the authority to forgive sin. 
as the Holy One of God. God himself made man who had no sin and yet would then go to the cross, pay the penalty for our sin in our place and endure it so that we, by his blood, might know forgiveness and eternal life. We, we might have the promise, the security in him of a place in that kingdom where there is no more sickness or suffering or death. That's a kingdom we still wait for now. We still wait for its fullness to come as we still live in this world of suffering and pain. Friends, healing and longevity of life is not our greatest need. Hearing the gospel and remaining faithful to that and gaining entry to the eternal kingdom of God is far more important. That's what Jesus is making clear to us here. So how should we respond to this rather uncomfortable view that Christ lays on us. Well, responding to Jesus' message of the kingdom, we, we weren't there to hear the full sermon at Capernaum, but we know the outline now. It's about the kingdom of God. It, it's about being in a place where it's only good, where there's no evil or sickness forever, and entrance comes by faith in Jesus, as we will see as we continue to read on in Luke's gospel recognizing that he is Lord. We need to depend on him for our salvation. And Jesus will say later, if anyone would come after me, and if you will come and have me, then let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That is to give our life away to Jesus in the here and now and so gain life for all eternity. And we're giving our life away to the one who died for us, who loves us beyond what we can fathom, and who works in all things for the good of his people to bring us to that kingdom. Let me ask you, tomorrow morning, are you going to deny yourself? Are you going to take up your cross? Are you going to follow him? That's what it means to belong to his kingdom and have hope in his name. Or second, do we share the priority for the kingdom that Jesus has here. You know, that, that means actually believing that the message of eternity in God's kingdom is more important than our physical well-being in the here and now. You know, don't mishear me. I, I, I'm not against us being physically fit. I wish I was a bit more fit. But being spiritually well is far, far, far more important than us being physically well. You know, I think we can easily buy into the world's view at this, at times, the world that has, has no belief in any kind of life, as it were, in God's presence after death. That, that this, world, this world, this life in which we live, this is it. And, and we can buy into that view as we pretend that this body and what we experience in it is all that really matters. And I, so I've got to protect this and preserve this at, at all costs. Which do we hunger more for? We know in our hearts and our minds, am I more concerned with physical food or the food of God's word that's able to keep me for eternal life? You know, I'm finding myself at the moment guilty of taking good time, a lot of time, to eat my breakfast in the morning, but I'm failing to spend quality time with my own family in the word of God that's able to nourish us spiritually for eternal life. And when it comes to reading the Bible, I'm a morning person. That's just the way I am. You might not be. That's fine. But I am. And breakfast is good. 
It's an important meal for the day. But I'm convicted that if we, if we take Jesus' priority to heart, then his word for me is more important than my physical well-being. And so if push comes to shove, and I do, if I have to choose in my time in the morning between one or the other, breakfast or the Bible, I should prize his word above my Kellogg's Rice Krispies or whatever else I'm eating. Are we prioritizing God's word to us in Jesus? Is it shaping us? Is it shaping our attitudes to how we see life? In the light of eternity. When we fall ill ourselves, do we worry incessantly? Do we panic like crazy? Or can we say with Paul, to live is Christ. To die is gain. You know, are are, are we consciously thinking and are we being comforted by the fact that even if my body should break down, there is an imperishable body to come in Christ. So we don't have to fall apart when we fall ill. Remember Don Carson's, well, Don Carson telling the story of his, uh, his wife who attended a prayer meeting once at another church and a sister in the church had been suffering from a severe illness and it was possible that she could die. So uh, these women, about 20 of them, they, they sat in a large circle and they took it in terms to pray for this, this dear sister and prayer after prayer, it went along the lines of the, the priority. The only priority was, God, make her well. Just make her well. In your mercy, make her well. Restore our sister physically. And it got to Don's wife. And she prayed something along these lines. Uh, Father, we, we do ask that in your mercy you might, in your grace, heal our sister of her disease. But above all, please help her either way to die well with faith in Christ as her saviour and her king unto eternal life. The looks that she got from the other women in that prayer meeting because she kept Jesus' priority of that woman's eternity at heart over and above the need for her to be physically healed. She was wise. Friends, Jesus makes clear the eternal well-being of us as humanity is more important than a restoration in this life. As we sum up our sandwich in Luke, what have we seen? Well, in the, in the filling we've seen it, it is Jesus who is powerful and able to deliver. He has authority over evil and sickness. He can deliver that which he promises. He will deliver us one day from the corruption of our world broken in sin. He is able. He will do that in every way one day as he calls us into his eternal presence as those saved by his blood. And friends, that good news of eternal life is so important it's got to take priority. That's what we have in the bread of the sandwich. Jesus is teaching the gospel, the good news of life in God's kingdom for us as sinners as we repent. And we trust in Christ and live for him no matter what. Friends, it's that gospel that's got to be taking root in our lives, in our hearts, shaping our attitudes. And through our witness, 
prayerfully, by God's grace, taking root in the lives of others and bringing them salvation. That is more important. Nothing is more important than that. For friends, where else have we to go when Christ alone has the words of eternal life? 